There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 262. And today we're beginning a two-week series of reflection on the 2018 hunting season. And today it starts with Dan and I overanalyzing our past year, the mistakes made, and the lessons learned. Alright, welcome to the first episode of the Wired Hunt Podcast, brought to you by Onyx, in the year 2019. And as we do, typically at the end of each season, me and Dan are back together for our postseason review. Kind of auditing the past hunting season, uh, talking through what happened, what we learned, what we screwed up with, what we want to do different, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of what I want to do here today, Dan. So uh, I guess number one, are you up for that? I'm down, dude. I'm ready. Number two, then, before we get to get to it, how were the holidays? Do you have at least one Dan Johnson family disaster story that you can share? <laughs> I feel like dude. it wouldn't be a podcast without one of those. <laughs> these These days, disasters are every day. I mean, just like the kids and their attitudes and my youngest, he's like, he's been walking for a while now, but now he can like, he can chew gum and walk too. You know what I mean? So not only can he walk, but he can climb and he uh-huh. can start pulling the, the safety guards out of the electrical outlets and he yep. can like get up on end tables and try to pull the TV cord out and all this stuff. And it's just, it's almost like you need to have a little room, a padded area just to put him in because he's, I don't know, he's like a, a mouse. He can get into anything. Oh, man, I'm I'm learning about that now, too. It's a whole new world. So, so can Knox walk yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. Yeah. So that's that's we're, we're right on the precipice of that. Everett is standing now, and he can take a couple steps. He just took his – actually – uh, he took his very first steps this morning, so that oh, was nice. pretty exciting. Yeah, so he took like two steps and then fell, but it was very cool. Um, but he's definitely climbing up on everything, like you said, pulling, trying to pull out plugs, trying to yank down things. I mean, 
it's just guys thinking like, how in the world can we handle two kids, let alone three? Right. <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, it's crazy because from the moment they're born, there's all these, these goals in life or these, these steps in, in childhood development. And it's like, oh man, I can't wait till they start walking. They're going to be so much fun. And then when they start walking, all you want to do is just have them not walk anymore and just like <laughs> sit down. And then you're like, okay, cool. Now they can start talking. But when they start talking, they don't stop talking. This is no, <laughs> this is no joke. This is not a joke. We were in a car over the holidays for a, a period of time that was two straight hours. My daughter talked from the time we pulled out of my driveway <laughs> to the time we pulled into the driveway of where we were going. She uh, was talking the entire time. I thought she was going to black out from <laughs> oxygen deprivation. And was anyone talking back to her or was it just her stream of conscious to herself? <laughs> it, it, this is how it goes. You have to talk back to it because if you don't, yeah, dad. You, <laughs> you have dad, to talk back to it. <laughs> yeah, or you have to talk back to her. Dad, 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 what Ava? Oh. Dad, I, uh. Uh, I saw a cow over there. What What do you think that cow's name is? Uh, I, <laughs> Ava, I don't know. Okay, okay, Dad, okay. Dad, hey, Dad, did you know that on the bus yesterday, um, this boy, he said a bad word. Oh, that's not very good. Dad, what? Dad, Dad. It's like, now, times that by two whole, two whole hours. Oh, man. Yeah. Parenthood. I love them. I love them. I, I and I I bitch about the kids a lot, right, on this podcast. But I tell you, I love them to death. They're very they're they're. I love them so much. But man, being a parent is is a pretty hard thing. Not gonna lie, it's work. Yeah, that yeah. has been. Uh, if we're reviewing 2018, that was definitely my biggest <laughs> lesson learned was uh, family changes things. That's yeah. for sure. But like you said, it's it's the best thing ever. Right. Um, so. It's kind of fun to complain about it once in a while, but I certainly wouldn't change it. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. It's funny. Every year, speaking of season review kind of things, um, usually the last day of the hunting season each year here in Michigan, that's January 1st, yesterday. Um, so every New Year's Day, I typically go out and hunt, and I just find it to be like a nice way to end the year. I always sit somewhere where I can just be by myself and I usually just, just kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm not as focused on hunting. I'm usually just kind of sitting there, sometimes just close my eyes and try to like soak in the surroundings and the sounds and the smells and the moment. And just for that last time of the year, just soak it, just soak yeah. it all in, appreciate yeah. it. And then think back on the season, kind of think through, I'll, I'll sometimes in my head, just go back to the first day and try to remember each hunt, each cool experience, just kind of go through that story in my mind and remembering all the highs and the lows and think through what I did right. I kind of try to do that like self-review each year. Right. Um, right. So I was going to do that last night, like yesterday evening, um, but ended up getting close to the time I was going to go out. And I thought, you know what? Um, my wife had been busy with um, taking care of Everett and I'd been working throughout the day. I thought maybe, maybe it'd be a good idea to take Everett with me. So I grabbed him, put him in the front pack, put on some blaze orange, went out to the property, one of these properties that I could hunt, and we just took a walk together. And, um, you know, we, we he doesn't know what I'm saying, but the whole time we're walking, I'm, like, talking to him about the stuff I usually talk about in my head, 
but I kind of told him the story of my season. I told him about, you know, oh, well, you were doing this, and you remember that day that you had chicken pox? Well, that's when Daddy was in Nebraska, and uh, <laughs> kind of going through that whole thing. Then I, we went and checked a trail camera. I went and showed him all these big rubs and told him the story of Frank and showed him, well, this is the spot I saw Frank, and this is this rub he was making when I saw him that one time. We walked through and kind of scouted through this little um, patch of ground where he had been breeding a doe, and um, – it was just, it was just kind of a fun thing to do um, to to kind of cap off the year. I thought it was a very fitting way. As I was doing, it, I thought, you know, what? this is this is the way to end the season because this season was so defined for me by this new stage in life. You know, yeah, and um, yeah. getting to share that with, you know, getting to spend that last day with the reason why I'm in a new stage of life, and 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 leading to this new year, sharing this part of my life with him. I mean, obviously, he had no idea what was going on. It was just a fun thing to be outside for him, probably. But, um, right. but for me, it was it was a cool thing to to be able to share with him, and and just gets me a lot, um, just even more excited, I guess, about 2019 because I think, you know, this year, still he's still really young, but he's gonna be able to walk and run around and follow me in the woods this coming season, and all those things I'm excited about. So uh, yeah. that was a good way to end the year, but I still haven't got to do my serious audit of the season. So that's, that's what we need to do here. I really need to do the serious breakdown of, of things and have you pick my brain and, and tell me what I did wrong. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a well, good, the, it's a good exercise. From the sounds of it and looks of it. You didn't do too much wrong, man. <laughs> well, it was a good, it was a good year. I can't, I can't complain about that. Right. Um, question for you yes. before yes. we talk about my season though. Um, Last time we talked, uh, well, I guess past that, we exchanged a few text messages a little while back about something that had you excited about the end of your season. And we really haven't got to talk about how much of your December hunting season activities at all. Um, So my season's done. Everybody kind of knows how it ended. I killed Frank in December, early December. And then after that, I took a bunch of time away from hunting. And then, you know, I will tell you, Later, we can get to this later. But I did have a really cool end of the season. The last like five six days of the season, um, we tried to hunt one of these properties for does a bunch and got to share some fun time with friends and family. Um, I had a really cool doe hunt myself. So uh, don't don't uh, don't let me forget to mention that. But but t- what I'm trying to say in a really long roundabout <laughs> rambling kind of way <laughs> is t- tell me how your season has ended and, and is it quite done yet? Well, I, t- I tell you what, technically. No, uh, because it's still season here in Iowa, right? It's late season muzzleloader or late season archery here in Iowa. And uh, so if I wanted to or if I had the time, I could most definitely go out. But it's not going to happen. I, I, I'm just too busy. You know, I'm to a point now where I feel I've already had a really successful season and Although I didn't get the opportunity to fill fill the freezer like I usually do, I'll be able to rely on uh, family to get some meat because my stepdad had a really good uh, season and he he was able to go out and fill the freezer uh, like more than enough for you know to share with everybody and uh, so I could I could have gone out and you know went to try to harvest a doe or something like that or even a second buck if I wanted to, but I felt it was honestly in my best interest to focus all that time on my business and 
really end 2018 strong so that I could continue that momentum going into 2019. And that's just what I've really been focusing on uh, lately is just the growth of growth of the business side of things. And, um, but other than that, man, I'll tell you this, my wife went out for her very first ever shotgun. I took her out shotgun season and we went out and she had it in her brain that, you know, she did not want to, to shoot a doe. Um, she has some kind of connection with them, I guess. And, and she, she passed up a couple opportunities. Was it uh, you, was it you who once knocked on someone's door for permission and they said that deer were the spirit animal? <laughs> yes. Wasn't that? <laughs> yep. The, the lady said, uh, the lady said, well, a white tailed doe is my spirit animal. And I said back to her, I go, you gotta be kidding me because a white tailed buck is my spirit animal. <laughs> did you so really she, think of that on your toes? Yeah, I did. That's and, good. uh, she let me shed hunt it which uh, got me access to the farm, but I couldn't hunt it. So so a white-tailed doe is, is your wife's spirit animal as well? I don't know if it's uh, – it's, I don't know if it's a white-tailed doe, but it might be like a white – what's the most ferocious animal in the world? It's got to be like a mother grizzly bear, right? I would say that's definitely a strong candidate. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say she's more of like a, a mother grizzly bear. Okay, so, so mama grizzly didn't want to shoot a doe. Right. That's right. So she didn't want to shoot a doe. And the two days that we had, like the three days we had set aside it, the weather was bad. One of them. And we came, uh, we came out hunting on the main farm. Once she passed a doe, went out two days later, uh, back at my local farm that I have near the house passed on a couple does, but it was funny right as we're walking in, it butts right up next to public ground. Boom, boom. So <laughs> it was like we walked into the timber and I just basically had to keep her positive. Yeah. You know, instantly we heard those gunshots and she, her her attitude went downhill from that. Like, oh, now we're not going to see anything. I'm like, hey, you never know. With all this chaos, deer could be running around oh, yeah. trying to avoid different hunting parties and whatnot. So we just sat on the top of a hill and overlooked this little valley. Uh, really good pinch point. And, uh, we saw one doe work through there at a long distance. And then on our, we left a little bit before daylight or uh, before nightfall, uh, last shooting light, walked back to the truck in a cornfield and there was three or four does there and, uh, she didn't want to shoot at the does. So, uh, that's, that was a wrap on, on her shotgun season. And, and then, like I said, then the holidays hit and, and then just been full bore work for me. So. Man, so have you actually hunted yourself since you killed your buck? I have not. November what day? I think uh well, I shot him on the shot him on the 4th, recovered him on the 6th. Wow. So yeah. you haven't hunted since November 4th. So I expect then with all that time away from hunting, that any day now you're announcing that you're quitting your day job and working full time <laughs> at Sportsman's Nation. All that business time, right? <laughs> oh man, I hope that would be nice, wouldn't it? I know, simply because I want to hunt with you in Michigan, dude. I, I <laughs> you have no, you have no idea how bad I want to hunt Michigan. If that tells you anything, <laughs> yes, I do know what that tells me. So I got my fingers and toes crossed for you, man. Yep. Um. Okay. So that. Well, before we shift then, why didn't you, I know, well, 
why didn't you go after the one buck that you got pictures of? You did you just yeah. just didn't end up having time, or well, did you not think it was killable? I just, I I don't I, you know how. I don't I don't even re- really know how to explain it. Like I I get into a groove right in between like before the season starts before the rut starts you're gathering data from trail cameras you're 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 looking at sign you get into this groove right where it's just like you you all the data that you've collected now becomes like fluid and then you just go with the flow right okay i'm i got this wind i gotta sit here or i got this data from this trail camera and there's a good trail or a rub right here i got historical data from last year from here you get you get into this this flow where things become automatic almost. And I was not feeling that at the end of the season. You know, I, I was more concerned with some other things like family and, uh, uh, trying to get my wife prepared for shotgun season. And, you know, I did have, I went to check my trail cameras, uh, and then gnarly Charlie showed up and, uh, I don't I guess know. It like, sounded like you got excited. You're like, man, I'm going to put together a strategy. I'm going to go after him again. Right. Yeah. So what happened was I, I got a picture of him. Right. And then I ended up putting a, um, a dirt, like right at shotgun season. So honestly, I went in taking my wife into the best possible spot where I thought he might come through because he showed up the day before the night before. So we went in there, set up a ground blind in some real thick uh, trees and, uh, went in there after him and, you know, just that one doe showed up, but it's one of those things where then I didn't really know what to do because I had already taken my trail cameras down from previous years. Uh, you know, there was hunting already still going on in that farm and, then we had to come back home. I had to go back to work. And well, I guess while I was there, I set up a, a cell phone camera, a cell camera. And I started getting relay, you know, pictures back from this camera. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, man, it might have been part of right after second season shotgun ended. He shows up. Yeah. But it's completely nocturnal on this camera because uh, there was a standing bean field. Well, that beanfield got harvested and it must have stirred up something because he showed back up the the night that they that they uh, ended up uh during the day they combined it that night he showed back up and came back into the timber and then he showed up two more times on that same exact trail leading into this beanfield and then something happened there was like a day or two with no pictures i think it got real warm and then I think, to be honest with you, I think he's already shed his antlers. You've gotten pictures that you think are him? I got pictures of really big-bodied deer, um, multiple deer, actually. So I think there's multiple shed bucks on on this area, and I think one of them is him. Just, it's a gut feeling that I have, like, okay, he was coming through here three or four, like, three out of four days, all nocturnal, right, 10, 11 o'clock at night, but... The next day, the same deer came through, just had no antlers on it. Hmm. So I think he he already shed his antlers. Interesting. Well, yeah, it certainly happens when we yeah. um. Oh, I, I don't think it was, you weren't on the podcast when I mentioned this, but that one buck survivor that I've been watching the past couple of years, he got killed by a neighbor, 
And yep. um, the neighbor, while tracking that buck across the property that I hunt, um, actually found a shed from an early shed buck. So that I've got my first shed of the year because he gave that to me. Um, and I've been hearing some other people across a number of states saying the same thing. So yeah. I know it happens every year. Um, yeah. It's always surprising, though, when it does. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I mean, just like Spencer, right? He shot that buck oh, and yeah. his antlers popped off. Yep. Right. I've heard num- numerous stories of that already. And it's just one of those things where I think now that I know he shed his antlers, I I just have this really good feeling that he's going to make it through winter and I'll be chasing him next year. That would be I knock mean, on wood. Yeah, I know that. I know that feeling, the excitement of hoping that one of those bucks will be back the next year and what that can mean. Ah, uh, golly. Are you going to share pictures if he comes back next year? We'll see, dude. I mean, this is just, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've talked about this, right? I mean, yes, the same yeah. reason that you just decided not to share pictures is the same part of the same reason that I decided not to share pictures. And although, you know, there's probably people, lots of people who listen to this podcast and, and my podcast who live in the area, it, I I don't know. And they would have a hard time being able to hunt the property that I hunt. It's just that, I don't know. I just, I'll, I'll share it when I'm ready. You know, I think that's a good, that's a good thing. Yeah. It it was kind of nice to keep a little bit private. You know, like we talked about with Frank, it's kind of nice to every once in a while have some stuff that's just kind of for you and some things that we share. And, um, I think there's, there's a, there's a balance needed there sometimes maybe. So, yep. I think that's good, man. I uh, I then want to know, before we talk about 2019 and Gnarly Charlie, um, 2018. Right. You hunted elk, and then you hunted October into early November. Yep. If you had to, like, now that you look back on your season, satisfaction level with the season on, like, a 1 to 10 scale or however you want to quantify how you feel about your 2018 season, how would you... How would you describe that? How would you rate yeah. it? Dude, I don't know if it could get much better. I mean, I come from Iowa, right? So I just see cornfields, and then when the corn comes out of the fields, it's flat ground. And, I mean, there's some great views and great terrain in Iowa. However, I went to Colorado, dude, and I got up to like 11,300 feet one day, and I saw these spectacular views, and I – was able to hunt in some very remote places, you know, uh, for the lower, as far as the lower 48 is concerned, that would be very hard to get to for anybody. And we went in and worked our balls off and had a crack at an elk and, uh, saw some, you know, we saw elk. I saw my first bull elk up close that wasn't in like uh, Rocky mountain national park. And, you know, public land DIY just another unique experience as far as a western hunt concerns so just it's hard to put a number on it but that's a win for me if if I never killed an elk but had that same experience every year it's a success in my book mm, yeah those yeah. W- when you get those hunts for elk where they're screaming up close and yeah. all that stuff like you had that is that is hard to beat I don't right. blame you for being excited about that and it was it's crazy and, and I'm sure you are aware of this feeling, but you get to a point where you're just completely exhausted and and it sucks 
climbing up the mountain in these verticals and over the deadfall. And you're just like, Oh God, this sucks. But the second I got in my car and drove off that mountain, I wanted to be back doing it again. And it was, it was like, and that's all I think about now. Elk. Elk. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, and I, I either said this on this podcast or someone's podcast. I don't remember where I said this, but, um, I have this like ebb and flow of mm-hmm. non whitetail interest. And usually, yep. usually it's like right about now I usually get kind of burnt out on whitetails. I need like a yep. month and a half or so, or at least a month maybe where I kind of step away from whitetails and I get really excited about elk again. And this is when I always end up like planning in my elk hunts or whatever Western thing I'm going to do. And I'm reading my backpacker magazines and my vehicle magazines and my fly fishing magazines and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do this adventure and this trip and that thing and this thing and that thing. And that you know happens in the winter, but then without fail every year it gets to like late summer and it's leading into all those trips and I should be getting excited about those things. And I, and I am excited about those things. But I always find myself like, ah, I should be scouting for whitetails, or I should be checking that camera, yeah. or I should be, and I always end up just, I'm just too, I'm too addicted to whitetail hunting. Like, yeah. and, 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 and this year, for the first time, it's January 2nd, and I'm not burnt out on whitetails at all. Like, I'm thinking, I'm already like in full-blown, like, July, yeah. excited for the next season <laughs> mode right now. <laughs> um, so, for whatever reason, I'm more energized and refreshed than I usually am. Um, so it's funny to hear that, that you're on the opposite side of it. You're more focused on the, on the different species now where I'm more focused back on the usual. Uh, well, I tell you what, I, I'm not going to say I'm more focused. I would say I'm equally as intrigued because like right now, I'll be honest, my focus is on work and family right now. Like, like I, I haven't, put too much thought into going out West again. I mean, I'm going to do it, but I just haven't put too much thought into it as of right now, just looking back and reflecting on the season, like the experience I had with the elk hunt was almost greater than, and I I don't want to say greater because I shot my biggest buck I've ever shot this year. Right. And it was a five-year-old big mature whitetail from a from a score standpoint, I guess you could say it would have scored bigger than any other buck that I've shot, but the impact it had on me was almost greater going out West than it was shooting my biggest whitetail. I get that. It's definitely, it's just such a different, I mean, that was your first really cool elk experience. Like our elk hunting experience was just like a physical backpacking trip we didn't get the elk side of things um yeah. that i mean after my first like elk hunt where is awesome like that i felt the exact same way you did so i i totally get that i mean that is amazing it's yeah. amazing so so and it has me it has me thinking about priorities from a hunting thing from a hunting standpoint it's like okay i have this full-time job i'm only allotted x amount of days i can i'm going to be able to deer hunt until i'm 60 in iowa or you know, in my sixties, if not older, depending on how healthy I am. Right. I may not be able to do the run and gun crazy things like I do now, but there is a limited window for Western type hunts, especially the extreme type hunts. Right. And I think in the next 10 years, I really, I think I'm going to focus heavily on putting a lot more 
time into these Western hunts and maybe even cutting back a little bit on the whitetail side of things and maybe only taking a, a week vacation as opposed to a two week vacation. Right. And, and maybe dedicating some more time out West just, you know, that's what I'm thinking about right now. Like where should my time go? Yeah. 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 That's choices. Yeah. It's all about choices. So are you saying that you're, that you're going to go back someday or you're definitely going to do a Western hunt again in 2019? Oh yeah. It's I'm going, I'm going on a Western hunt. It's probably going to be the same elk hunt again with the same group of guys, but I'm thinking about adding that Nebraska mule deer, whitetail deer, antelope hunt as well. So, yeah, man, that's, that, that's some fun stuff out there. Yeah. Now that I've got some taste of that country. Yeah. That sand hills you mean? Yeah. 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 Dude, I tell you, I'm not sure what it is. You know, like you, you, I think we've had this conversation before that you're really drawn to the mountains. Yep. Like there's something about the wide open prairie, the rolling hills of the prairie, the sand hills in Nebraska, more specific, that I am just drawn to. I don't know. I absolutely love the feeling of being completely alone and knowing, and that feeling makes me is like there's a secondary feeling of insignificance and how small you really are in the grand scheme of things that it just wakes you up and it realizes that maybe you're not as important as you think you are. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's absolutely. That's, and I love it. That's something I always enjoy about anytime I get out in these big wild places. That's yep. exactly exactly one of the things i'm thinking about which which that hunt that i had in western nebraska was was definitely that kind of thing that was just like you said something about the wide open prairie and those rolling hills and the just horizons that are never ending that that really becomes apparent in a very visual way that you're very small and uh that's invigorating in in some fashion so yeah man if, if i had to look at my season um, from like a satisfaction standpoint, um, a lot of things you just mentioned there factored into it for me too. Um, cause I had a couple of these hunts that were very much, um, adventures and different kind of ways. The public land hunt in Montana was just a ton of fun. I love those solo kind of sleeping in the back of my truck hunts. And, uh, like that was an adventure whitetail hunt for sure. Slogging up and down rivers, back into canyons. It was like a, just a cool hunt and to be able to pull it off on my own. That was very rewarding. Um, and then fast forward to the Nebraska hunt, you know, that we just talked about that same kind of thing, just totally different than any other whitetail hunt I've ever done. Big wild place. I mean, even though that wasn't public land, it was, it was, it was more like a public land hunt and, and more wild and vast and unpeopled than any public land hunt I have done. So that was, yeah. that was really cool. Um, so did you miss you know, staying on the topic of Western hunts, did you miss not elk hunting this year? Well, I did do the elk hunt too. Remember I took, um, Oh, that's right. You went solo for what? Like, uh, four days, five days. I was solo for two days and then I met up with Ryan Callahan for four that's days right. or something like that. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was kind of like a, I kind of forgot about it too. It, it kind of just slipped away into the memories of my hunting season. That was yeah. during that September. Like my September was just nuts. Um, yeah. And the elk hunt was just, it was, it was, it was a fun trip from like a social aspect. It was great to hang out with the guys and hike in the mountains and stuff, but it was just not productive at all from an animal standpoint. Yeah. Um, and it was just a physical 
a physical grind, unlike any of my other Elkhans or Caribou yeah. Hunt or anything. I mean, that was just a, it was a lot of up and down. Um, yeah. So that one was a little bit brutal. But but still, cool to get out there. Cool to spend a lot of time in these places. Um, and then, of course, the at-home season was, as we discussed, was a pretty special one this year. Going from, you know, disappointment of Holyfield being gone and that whole kind of four-year build ending with nothing, no ending to the story, to then the the surprise of, of everything that came about with, with Frank showing up and everything. So, yeah. Very, very special season. And to have all that happen, like when I look back, all that, like I had my best shed hunting year ever. Found more mm-hmm. sheds by far than I've ever had. I had like some of the coolest fishing and backpacking adventures and stuff like that during the summer. And then had this incredible hunting season. And all of this happened, um, you know, in, in a year where I thought that all these things would probably suffer um, because, you know, I, I've got a, a family now, a son. And so have all those things kind of happen at the same time as having my son and getting to spend so much awesome time with him and, and getting to take him out to Montana and all these different places with us. Um, it just made for this being without a doubt the, the coolest year of my hunting life as well. Yeah. Um, you know, looking outside of just tags filled, it was, it was just a super cool set of experiences. So yeah. I don't know, man, we got to pinch ourselves or knock on wood or do something so that we don't lose this mojo because <laughs> it's going to be hard for 2019 to top this one. Real quick, before we move on, I want to take a quick second here to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And they just dropped a new land beat video. I've been telling you guys about these for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight months, something like that. And this most recent one is with one of my favorite characters, Dr. Craig Harper, and he walks us through in this one the three basic tools that every habitat manager needs. And these are tools that you can use without ever having to plant a seed. No food plots, no big crops. These are three simple tools that you can do lots of things with at a very relative low cost. So check that out. If you have a property you can manage in any capacity, Craig Harper's got some great ideas for some tools that will help you do that. You can check that out over at the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel, or you can learn more about what they've got going on at whitetailproperties.com. Yeah. You know, and I think I think a lot of what made this for me such a successful year was I don't know if it was being so busy even going into it or maybe not like caring so much about what the outcome was and just enjoying the overall experience because I felt like going into this season I wasn't near as stressed out um, and I'm speaking for the whitetail because I had absolutely no expectations on my on my elk hunt, right? I said to myself, dude, like I think the area mm-hmm. the area for that was or the success rate for that unit was like five percent with a bow. So you know, statistics alone, I'm not gonna shoot an elk, right? And plus public ground, really high up, you know the the quantity, the numbers aren't there like other areas. You know, just really like we saw some good quality bulls. I, I see I saw a couple of cows and that's really it. Right. Not not a ton. But with low expectations, I was able to enjoy myself not putting any pressure on. Hey, I have to kill an animal. And then the same kind of the same kind of feeling transferred over into my whitetail hunt where I, I really didn't go into 
the season with any really high expectations or I didn't put any pressure on myself. I just kind of released all that and went in for the pure enjoyment of it. And I don't know if it was like the mojo, the, the way I was feeling, I was feeling calm and loose and just going with the flow. Like you said, that put me in the right spot, the right time. I got lucky and I don't know, man, I just, I felt, I just ended up feeling good before I even shot that buck and that not. And then after I shot him and found him, I feel good too. Do you think that you're going to, do you think that's going to carry over into future years? I mean, are, do you think that you're going to go into 2019 with, you know, not, not very goal oriented, kind of just like go into it to see whatever happens. Is that something you think that's a trend? Yeah. I, I, I really like that because I used to, I used to take these trail cameras really like almost use them too much and rely on, you know, like, Hey, I have all these big bucks on trail camera. Uh, they were here in September that shift happens that we always talk about. And, and so I'm sitting there with these expectations of, Hey, this deer, this deer, you know, these deer are supposed to be coming through here. It's the best spot. Why aren't they here? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And you, you, you get in your own head in a way. And this year with the trail camera stolen in that area, I didn't put any back out and I went in there hunting, not a buck, but hunting the best possible spot. Right. And not, not, not over micromanaging my tree stand locations, which I believe led me to putting myself in the right position at the right time with the, what in the right conditions to where this buck used those terrain features and those wind conditions and the weather conditions like a big buck would. And I was just in the right spot at the right time. So, so you did a bunch of things right there, um, that led to that success, whether that be the fact that you just let go of some things and focused on the right things versus maybe overanalyzing pictures or specific deer or whatever it might be. Um, but do you think you made any mistakes? Like, do you look back and say like, okay, this is something that I definitely screwed up or this is something I learned from or anything like that? Yeah, man, I, I make mistakes every year and I'll be the first to admit that, right? I mean, no one hunts perfectly. And for me, I, I made some mistakes probably getting too aggressive before, like during the pre-rut times. Like I bounced into some real, some really good spots probably in that 20th of October timeframe. I remember having like a three day window where I was able to go in and hunt. And that uh, was when you thought you could hunt gnarly Charlie's bedroom, right? Right. Yep. I went in there and I think I just went in a little too early. Uh, I think they were still on that, you know, that bed to feed pattern, still nocturnal. Um, there wasn't a ton of sign, uh, compared to other years. And I didn't really read that as the deer are here. You know, we had, we had really high water, uh, almost all of September. And I think that pushed the deer out. I think he was in there at that time, but I think I bumped him out at some point, either adding additional trail cameras or going in on some of these aggressive hunts too early. And I bumped him out and he did. And I think uh, I remember telling you that I did, I didn't get any trail camera pictures of him until, oh man, I want to say November 8th. And I think that's how long it took him to feel comfortable coming back into that farm. Sounds like a two week window. 
Yeah, so a two-week, maybe two-and-a-half-week window where he disappeared, and I, he went he went north the farm, and then I think he came back after that, after like two, like a day or two after uh, I shot my buck. So I don't know. I uh, I think I think I got him figured out though, and I just have to get in there and use my head, knowing what I know about this one specific pinch point that leads up to a field. And if I can figure out how the wind acts in there, I think I'm going to have a really good shot at if, let's say, you know, like if all things were equal to this year and he uses the same pinch points and same travel corridors, I think I'll put, I could put myself into a position to where somewhere around the 10th, 11th, 12th of October, I could put myself into a position of maybe seeing him or getting a crack at him or maybe adding a different trail camera in there and checking it, uh, when I'm doing my rut thing and, you know, finding out more information that would put me in a position to intercept him, hopefully. So now that you've been after him for a year, kind of a little bit off and on here, how, like how invested do you think you'll be in him next year? Is it going to be a situation where, you know, you'll do a few things, with this pinch point and if it happens, it happens, but you're going to keep hunting all over the place or, is it going to be the point where you're going to – now, I guess you already answered this because you said you're probably going to go into this with not a whole lot of goals. But yeah, do you think at any point you're going to be like, holy smokes, this is a special deer. I want to focus more on this or are you done with that? Uh, we'll see. Um, I I think the last, what, what this past year really taught me was things change. And in the woods and with nature, you know, this deer could get hit by a car. He could be eaten by coyotes. He could die from an infection. It could snow a foot uh, and freeze and get real cold and he could starve, or, you know, whatever. And I think if you start I, – what I don't want to do is I, I don't want to get into a shipwreck, a shipwreck rut again. And what I mean by that is I don't want – to be so invested in a specific deer that I pass the opportunity at something that I've never shot before. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that I kind of had a similar conversation with Spencer last week because he was talking about how he doesn't like to target specific bucks or get too focused on that. And he kind of said by default, he has to, cause he doesn't see the same deer often. Um, yeah. but that he didn't really like to do that. Um, cause some of the things you mentioned there, um, and then you just mentioned that, and right, we've over the years we've talked about each of our own special situations that we've had, kind of like this. You with shipwreck, um, me with Holyfield, and some other deer of the years. Um, and it's interesting that you two had that same thought over the course of this time period now. And I feel like I'm going the opposite direction. Like I get, I'm getting more and more and more just uh, fascination with like getting to know a specific deer like that has just become yeah. so much fun for me. And I, yeah. and I don't feel like, you know, during the moment, like during the hunts for Holyfield, like if anyone's heard these podcasts, they've heard me talk about how stressed I was, how I was getting, you know, down on myself about things, blah, 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 blah. And yes, there were times when I felt that way. But like, if I look at things over the long run and if I zoom, like if I zoom out and look at the 30,000 foot overview of like my experiences hunting, that's always like those kinds of experiences where I had the, the multiple years of encounters with Holyfield or multiple years with, with these different deer that I've, that have happened to, to hunt. Now this, this couple years of experiences with Frank and the way this all went like that is just, I don't know. I'm finding myself more and more interested in 
these really detail oriented pursuits versus the yeah. filling of tags. Like I, yeah. you know, after Holyfield disappeared at the end of, well, you know, he never, he never appeared again, but after I came to terms with the fact that he had disappeared, you know, it was late October. I think it was like, I don't know, just before Halloween, the 29th or something. I remember thinking, okay, this is it. Like he, he should have shown up by now. And I kind of had like this, sit and think time period with myself where I was like, man, you had a chance to shoot him. Um, and you chose not to in 2016. A lot of people gave you crap about that. Was that a mistake? Um, you know, you made mistakes in 2017 that, that kept you from shooting him. Are you upset at yourself about that? Um, and when I looked back, I was like, you know, no, like, I don't care that I didn't fill my tag. I, if you told me right now that I could have, if I could like, if I rub the bottle or what do you call it? Genie in a bottle. So you rub a bottle or whatever. Is it a bottle? No, it's a, what are what are genies in? Yeah, genie in a bottle, Christina Aguilera song. I think it's right? a I think it's a lamp. Yeah, lamp, bottle, vase, bush light can. <laughs> so it's all it's all the same. <laughs> so so if I could rub a bush light can and get a wish, <laughs> if I could get a wish, and um in the wish like my options were that either I could choose to have taken the shot at Holyfield in December of 2016 and got to put my tag on him. Or had the experience I had and seen him more in 16 and seen him a bunch in 17 but never got to kill him, find his shed in 18, I would without a doubt take what happened. Like I just yeah. loved that that experience. Just right. I don't know. I, I, what, I, what I am how I, what I would say has changed for me is that I am not, or at least I'm trying. I'm trying not to get as caught up with the end result. So like I, I really want the end result. I'm like I, during the moment, like it's never going to change for me. I don't think I'm just so goal oriented. I just get obsessed and I really dig in on these things, but I do that cause I love it. Like I just yeah. love, I love becoming infatuated with, with a goal and a task or a mission yeah. and, and trying to learn as much and dive into the details as much like that just like turns all my gears on. Um, so, so that I don't see changing. I'm getting more it's crazy because I can, I can remember now looking back at like when I was w doing shipwreck, you know, I was really doing the same thing that what you're talking about right there and getting really focused on one specific buck, only hunting, uh, one specific buck going in only when I thought this deer would, would go. And I, f and I passed a ton of great deer. 145 to 150 class four-year-olds at times, right? And that's crazy to me now, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I look back and I became obsessed with something and, you know, I'm also kind of uh, like a, a stats, a statistics person, you know, what are the best odds? And I'm also the kind of person who I don't give a shit about antler size, Antlers are rare, right? A, a big antler, 200 inches, whatever. That's rare and it would be awesome to shoot. But if a five-year-old 154-inch nine-pointer like what I had this year shows up again next year, man, I'm going to take him. I mean because a five-year-old 154-inch five-year – a five-year-old 154-inch buck – is is still a really good representation even in Iowa. Hell yeah. It's an awesome buck. Yeah. Um yeah, dude. I I I think that I think there's definitely 
Well, I think both of you have have like had this evolution over the years as we've been growing as hunters, figuring yeah. out what it is that we love about this, figuring out what kind of goals or desires we have out of a season. And, and I think we're both kind of like figuring that out and, and kind of coming to nice little equilibriums a little bit. Um, we certainly have had our bumps in the road, but, yeah. but yeah, man, I'm right there with you. It's, it's so much more the experience for me. It's, it's what, you know, I said it in the Frank thing, you know, Frank was huge and that's awesome. It was really cool. And I knew I was like watching a deer that's so, so unique to my area that that was like such a thrill, but I would have been just, I mean, 99.999% just as excited if it was 135 inch or 140 inch five-year-old running around there that I was having all these cool encounters. Like guaranteed, I would have been just as fired up. I would have been staying up late thinking about it and waking up early thinking about it. I mean, I would have been just as cranked up and that for me is what I want to keep doing is like having these cool experiences that, that challenge me, that push me to try to figure these things out and get better and learn more about these animals, whether that's a 120 inch buck or 170 inch buck, uh, whether that's close to home or out in Nebraska or wherever I love, I think it's the challenge. I think that's what it comes down to. I love being challenged within like the, within the context of hunting white tailed deer. And so sometimes that's trying to hunt this one deer Sometimes that's like going to a brand new place in Montana or Nebraska or wherever and figuring it out and, and shoot whatever. But the challenge is there because of the new situation. Um, I don't know. I just feel like more and more that is where my satisfaction rating comes from. It's from, was there this challenge? Did I have fun attack, attacking that challenge? And, um, you know, did I feel like I, at least did I feel like I put everything I had into it? That. I think is where I'm deriving satisfaction now, less so on, did I fill the tag this year? I filled a bunch of tags next year. I might not. Um, but if all those other things I just listed end up being true for next year, I think I'm going to be pretty damn satisfied still. Yeah. And I mean, we just keep coming back to it, dude. It's not, it's not the destination. It's the journey of it all. Yeah. So, okay, so you maybe got too aggressive on Gnarly Charlie in October, pushed in there too much. Um, Any other mistake you want to mention before I jump into a couple of mine? You know, not really. I mean, I hunted so little this year uh, with a bow that I just kind of went about, I got into the flow, got into the routine, and it happened earlier rather than later. Uh, And I didn't really have enough time to make a ton of mistakes. I mean, I made them little things, you know, like maybe being too aggressive on wind direction, playing the wind just a little too hard. And, you know, I'm not a guy who likes to get into a stand or, you know, get into, you know, have an access route that's really killer. And if the wind is shifting a little bit, I like to sit there and, and ride it out. And I did that a couple times this year when I'm Maybe I should have got out of the stand and went to a different place just to not ruin that specific bedding area. Yeah, I've I've, I've had those same dilemmas. That's a yeah. tough one. I know a lot yeah. of guys who say that they get up and move right away, and I have done that sometimes. I have bailed on a spot right away, but then there also have been times where I did the same thing you did where I'm thinking, well, I'm already here. I already made whatever kind of impact I was going to make getting in here. Yeah. Um, you know, how good is my prediction of where I think these deer are and where they're going to go? You know, what percent yep. of the time do they do something completely opposite of what you actually think? Um, so I hear you on that. That's a tough call. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So your mistakes. 
Yeah, so I think my my biggest mistake centered around um, pooping in a blind. <laughs> no man, that was the <laughs> that was the biggest thing I did right. <laughs> I can't tell you how many comments I got um, from people after seeing the film. Oh, speaking of which, I released the video of my hunt for Frank this week. So if you haven't seen that yet, going over to the Wired yeah. YouTube channel um, or the Mediator.com, you'll see that there. Um, but so many people saw, you know, <laughs> there are all these things. All these people were saying, like, "Oh, an inside view of the poop blind. This is awesome." Yeah. <laughs> You didn't record that part, did you? No, I did not record that part. <laughs> and by the way, before we get back into being serious again, you get a, you have a lot of listeners on this podcast. So of all those listeners, I need one of you to create a, a meme of Mark Kenyon <laughs> rubbing a bush light can and having a genie <laughs> pop out of it. Okay, that's all I want. That's, that's your guys' task for this week. <laughs> that, that'd be an awesome t-shirt. I would wear that t-shirt. Um, yeah. So... So what was I talking about? Your biggest mistakes. Oh, biggest mistakes. So, but how did that relate to the poop blind? Uh, oh, I mean, you... most people don't poop in their blinds, okay. and that's kind of a mistake, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, dear, uh, dear, biggest mistakes. Yes. So, biggest mistake I think related to this new area that I got permission to hunt this past year, because. Coming into 2018, one of my big goals was to have more places to hunt, right? Because I've yep. found myself sometimes, like my local Michigan spots, um, I get too too stuck on this one spot that's been historically pretty good, and I always have like a handful of other places I can hunt, but some years it's been um, a small property that I lost. So that a couple of years ago, I had a really nice little secondary spot, but I lost permission there. Um, a couple of years I've had permission on properties with friends, but I could only hunt them when I'm with those friends or situations like that. Um, so this year I was like, you know what? I need to put myself in a position to have a much better set of plans B, C, and D. Um, and I thought I had that situation when I got permission on this large property on the West side of the state through a friend. And, um, and it was a really good property. Like we talked about in the spring and the summer, like it's a great spot. There's a lot of deer. And because it's a larger property and because the landowner is managing it for deer, there's a lot of older bucks, much more than any other place I got to hunt. So going into this year, I was thinking, man, of anywhere I'm going to hunt, I bet you that's my best lock to like fill a tag, to have success. Like I know there's going to be mature bucks there. Um, I thought that was going to, as much as a mature buck in Michigan might be, I thought that would be my, I don't want to say guarantee, but like my best chance. Right. Now, I feel like I just made a bunch of mistakes around that. Number one, um, I didn't get to put as much time into prepping that property as I wanted. Just, you know, same thing you talked about, just time. Time got away from me. I was traveling a lot, a bunch of new career things going on, had a baby trying to manage this small property that's local, trying to do some work up on our North Michigan property, all these things, all these things are excuses, I know, um, but just simply did not get to put as much prep time as I wanted into this new area. So that was one thing that led to a couple missed opportunities, me simply not prepping things quite right. Um, number two, I think that I went into those hunts assuming it was better than it was. So by that, I mean... All of a sudden, I've got permission on a property that's like, I don't know. I don't know what it technically is, but I think I had access to something like 600 acres or something like that. I mean, that's 
way, way, way bigger. Most of the properties that can hunt are 40 or 90, stuff like that. Nothing like this. So I'm thinking, wow, this huge property, um, the people that own it are managing it for deer. It's going to be great. This is going to be like hunting, you know, one of these Midwestern states where the pressure is much lower and where I've gone in the past, you know, Ohio, Iowa, whatever, that it's just, you can just get away with different things. You can hunt things differently than I can in Michigan and you can still see mature bucks and, and get shots. Right. So that's kind of the way I thought it was going to go. And I hunted that way. I was hunting very low impact stand sites. I wasn't being aggressive at all. I had this week long period scheduled to go hunt there, uh, with the meat eater crew. And I've been able to prep some stuff for that. And then also the, the guy that owns the property, he and his, his friend were able to prep a bunch of stuff there for that property. He's got a guy that helps out in this property with him. So they had a bunch of things prepped, but all of these stands that collectively we had prepared, they kind of were all low impact, safe stand sites that you would hunt on a big managed property. Yeah. Um, and the issue I found from the time I spent there was that even though this is a pretty big property, even though there's a lot of good things going for it, it had great habitat, all those things being the case, it was still Michigan. And it still, what ended up happening was that the deer, even with all those things, still behaved the way that they do on the 40-acre property I hunt locally or the 90-acre property I hunt around here. They still did not want to move past those things in daylight. They still were not daylight active 99% of the time. They still couldn't be killed in these ways. And I just did not get aggressive enough. I stuck, I got, I just stuck with, I don't want to say it was a, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't know that. I think it was a situation where I was afraid to step on toes, I think a little bit, or to like, to divert too much from like the party line. I don't know if that makes sense. So but, basically, it sounds to me like a decision that you would make if you were hunting by yourself was a different decision because you were hunting with additional people. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't want to piss anyone off. I don't want to overstep my boundaries. I, you know, I, I think because of that and because I was still navigating, you know, the the relationship of hunting this property with these guys, it was just it was a lot of new things and I didn't. Because of that, it didn't hunt the way that now I know I should have hunted. And in the moment, I knew I should have hunted. And I think that led to the fact that, that it was a great opportunity. There's a lot of good bucks on camera. Um, I should have failed the tag there. I had a week there in the rut. I should have killed a buck. No doubt about yeah. it. And I didn't. Um, so from like a tactical standpoint, that was a tactical mistake. Um, and then to a very specific tactical mistake, I, I told you the story of – Right? Were, were you in the episode where I told the podcast the story about where I had this buck at 20 yards and couldn't get a shot at him because of a trim shooting a lane that wasn't cut? Yep, I know that. Yeah. So, so that was like a, a very specific example of because this was a shared property with these other guys. This was a spot that I had tried to go in to hunt a stand that I had I'd been scouting the property in the spring. I noticed an old ladder stand when I was out scouting in the spring and in my head, I thought, okay, that's a good spot to hunt, you know, but I never ended up getting back to it. Never ended up messing with it. Never ended up doing anything there. So then on this morning, I see the wind. I look at all the things I knew. I was like, okay, I want to try to go. I think, I think I want to go to that area. And I remember there's like an old ladder standing there. I'm going to sneak in there and try to hunt it. So I go trying to sneak into that spot with a cameraman We're running late, you know, everything's a mess already. And we get in there and, and it's dark and I cannot find the stand. I can't find the stand. I'm walking around and I'm getting frustrated and pissed off. 
it's not there. And then we find like an old like tripod that someone had put out there who knows how long ago. And then I'm thinking to myself, is that what I saw? And my memory was that it was a ladder stand, but it actually it's like a tripod that, you know, I don't know what to do with this. So in a moment of panic, um, I don't know if it was panic, but I texted the other guy. I was like, hey, you know, is that ladder there? Um, and he's like, oh, no, I don't think so. But, you know, there's this other one down the way. You could try that. So this is a long way of getting to the fact that I ended up going to a stand that I had not prepped myself, that I didn't know about. I I knew that there was a stand somewhere around there, but that I didn't personally do anything with. Went to that spot. It ended up being in a great spot. Um, And I liked it so much that I hunted there several days afterwards. But because I didn't put enough time in in the summer to prep all these spots myself, I was dependent on other people which I hate being, and because of that, a spot that should have been a cutting lane cut, there wasn't, and that buck was standing there at 20 yards. This would have been, before Frank, it would have been my biggest buck ever in Michigan, very close to one of my bigger deer ever, a great Michigan deer, um, and he was there at 20 yards, easy peasy shot, can't get it because of all these limbs, and that's no one's fault but mine. So um, that was a very specific example of of not putting in the time and taking care of all the details and um mm, dude i think you're beating yourself up on that because how how many times have you done a run and gun set and not necessarily saying a big deer came through let's just say any deer came through and you didn't have a crack at it because it came from some crazy awkward angle right yeah i mean that's just that just happens Yes. I mean, yes, it does. And I, I guess I just feel, and maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I'm just, and this is kind of just what I do. I mean, yeah. right. I, I, I overanalyze things and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I, I nitpick, but that, I guess this is a situation where the nitpicky, the nitpicky part of me can point to a very specific little thing that kept me from a very specific outcome. And that like, that's, you know, is like a thorn in my craw, um, that I keep looking back like, I know I'm going to have to watch that clip on some future episode of a show and I'm going to sit there kicking myself pissed off because this really cool buck is right there and I couldn't get a shot. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a bummer. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it could have happened in any kind of scenario. It could have happened on a run and gun hunt. I've had similar things happen. Um, I just wish that in that scenario, like it was a prepped tree, you know, it should have been, you should have had a lane cut to each one of these directions where they could come from and it wasn't so that was disappointing but but you're right um that was one thing that just stood out though the second mistake or challenge that stood out to me was related to travel we talked about this earlier in the year but i had like all i'm traveling more in general because of stuff with with the new company and everything um and then that is layered on the fact that I've got more responsibilities at home with a son and trying to figure out a way to balance that. And that just kind of made this year tougher in, in, in ways that obviously you know about as you're talking about this thing yourself. Um, and so my big mistake happened that I kind of, I don't know, I didn't recognize how tough that would be right out the gate. So in September, I had like an 11-day period where I was going to hunt Montana and then just kind of get, kept getting stretched out. I was like, okay, I'm going to go for Montana hunt. And then Josh was going to go to North Dakota. So I was like, well, I can stretch out and hunt North Dakota too when I'm out there. And then there was business meetings and, and, and some folks that 
that I work with like, Hey, why don't you stick around for another day or two? Cause since you're already gonna be out there. So all of a sudden, like what I thought was going to be a seven day hunt became like an 11 day hunt. Um, and then I got the invite to do this elk hunt and that kind of stretched out to more. So all of a sudden I thought I was going to hunt seven days in Montana in September. And by the time September was done, I ended up being gone for 20 days or 21 days or something of the month. And that was a mistake. I mean, that was just way too much put on, put on my wife and way too much time away from Everett. And I was, you know, right after that, I was like, Oh, wow, I don't want to do that anymore. I do not like being gone that much. Um, and so, you know, we talked about, I canceled one of my trips in October, um, and didn't travel a whole lot after that, the rest of the season, I had the six or seven days or whatever. I was out on this other property that I just talked about. And then I took a couple short trips, like two days up to our Northern Michigan cabin a couple times. Um, and then I guess it did Nebraska, but that was a, that was a tight trip. That was four and a half days or something. Um, so I think that, I don't know if it was a mistake, but it was like, uh, it was a mistake slash challenge that I identified. And now I know I'm kind of skipping ahead to things I want to do differently. But based off that, now I kind of know that as much as I possibly can, like as much as I have control over it, I'm now, you know, getting invited on things and being a part of trips that I can't control as much. Um, like I'm taking off for a for Mexico here in a couple of days and I'm going to be gone for 11 days or 12 days. And that's going to be like really tough. Like I'm not, I'm looking forward to the trip itself and appreciative of that opportunity, but I'm really not looking forward to being gone that away that long from the family. Um, so as much as I can control these things, I want to try to find a way to, to still travel a lot. Like that's, that's an important part of what I do. And I really enjoy that, but I want to, I think the way to do that to be more family friendly is, is spread out and short. So instead of like doing two week, a two week straight trip or something or two weeks straight for the rut vacation or whatever it might be, I think what I'm going to try to do now is a four day trip here and then I'm home for three weeks and then a four or five day trip here and then I'm home for several weeks and then a three day trip here, like doing maybe more trips, but shorter. Um, at least that's what I'm thinking is, is like, it's the, it's the long time spans where it gets really tough. Um, do you kind of have the same thing with your, with your wife? Like it, it, like for three or four days, maybe it's okay. But when you get to day five, six, seven, eight, nine, like that gets really challenging when there's no break from the kids. Yeah, man. I tell you what, I just wish I had more advice on that, on that note, because for me, I'm not in the position yet where like for you, you have a little more flexibility on, you can go out for a four day hunt, come back and go out for another four day hunt out West or, or to a different state or whatever. For me, that has to be big chunks of time, right? Because I can't do the multiple trips, you know, because, because travel time counts and yeah. I want to be able to hunt as much time as possible. So, you know, and it, and there's more, there's more hunting in my future. I know it because I'm going to make it happen. So, and this, this is going on for me in 2019 as well is to be able to a include my wife and children into more of these quote unquote adventures or b take care of the planning. So my wife has some assistance in some of this, you know, and help. Yeah. Maybe she has a, a mother or father-in-law or my dad or mom come and help out for a day or two just to relieve some of that stress and it, or put myself in a position to where she has less responsibilities. So she, maybe I can pay off some debt 
like for me, a real big thing in 2019 is finances, right? I, I gotta, I gotta get some debt down. I gotta, um, you know, find ways to be more lucrative in all avenues, pay off some debt, which means that she also has to work less in one of her jobs. And then she's not as stressed, you know, she'll still have to watch the kids when I go on these trips, but at the same time, she won't have to be multitasking as much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's keep going down that road then. Um, things we want to do differently in 2019. So it sounds like both of us have some thoughts around how do we, how do we better balance travel and family obligations. So I'm right there with you too. In addition to trying to do for me, I can do the short trips. So I'm trying to do shorter trips, but I am, have been thinking about the same things as far as trying to put my family in a better position while I'm gone. So lining up more help, um, trying to make it so that, you know, the responsibilities at home are not as great. Um, anything like that, because, and this is nothing new, and we know this, but like we put when we leave, when 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 we're not around to help out the family, right? We're putting a big burden on everybody else, right. on our wives, yep. a burden on our kids, even, and and just you know not being around them sucks too. Right. Um. Right. So so yeah, I think obviously for me that's something that I'm just gonna be facing more and more, especially if we have another child. You know what that's gonna change. I'm sure it changes things. So all these things are definitely definitely top of mind. But yeah. But this year was definitely a good learning experience for me on that in that regard. Yeah. I, I just want to be able to like hunting is such – at times can be selfish, right? Because I'm going to go on this elk trip and I'm going to go on – it's going to be intensive. So unless my wife trains and decides she wants to come with me on something like that, it's just – I mean she she's not as dedicated to hunting as I am, right? She likes to be – chauffeured to the turkey blind and chauffeured to the blind and she needs she likes to be told what to do and when to do it she she does like to learn along the way but it's not it's not her it's not her identity like it is it's my identity you know so so but fishing like if i can include the family in all these other activities that i plan on doing that are hunting let's say like I think this year my daughter's going to be able to come turkey hunting with us. Uh, we're going to do a lot more fishing this year uh, with the whole family and involve everybody so that when the time comes for me to go on one of these trips, it's, you know, I, I've put in the family time. You know what I mean? It is time. It's time for the it's time for the cowboy cowboy to go roam, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? And. It's just uh, as much. I hope that that's what you tell your wife when you walk out the door. <laughs> well, see, you, honey, it's time for the cowboy to roam. You know, and uh, but at the same she time, slams the door in your face. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just, and it's one of those things that I I feel with my wife and me and the kids. There's three or four, maybe five more years of this really frustrating type where. As my children get older, it's going to become easier for her to handle all of them. But right now, they're all in just that age group where it's very difficult. And, you know, she takes care of them most of the time anyway because I have to go to an office and I have to sit in a back room and do do this job. But with, but I think as time goes on, it will become easier. But until then, I mean, there's no way to there's no way to cut it and make it sound like 
hey, guess what? You're going to have the kids all to yourself for eight days. Yeah. You know, like she doesn't like that straight up. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Well, to that point, you know, another thing, and I don't know if this is something that you've thought of. I mean, you, you kind of have done this and I've done this to varying degrees. But this year, one of the one of the other things I want to do a better job of in 19, and I alluded to this earlier, is getting a getting more high quality options really close to home. So yes. so that I'm not having to travel to still have quality hunts. You know, right now I've got like a spot or two close to home that are pretty good. If I want to do anything better than that, then I'm traveling a minimum of like two hours minimum. Um, I need a bunch of good spots really close to home so that um, I can still have quality hunting experiences. I can still, you know, you know, it's part of my job, right? So I need content. I need to be out doing these things. Um, I need to be able to do those things without needing to travel to Iowa or without needing to travel to Kansas or Ohio or whatever. Um, I'm still going to travel some, but as I mentioned, shorter trips, maybe not as much. So that's one of my big goals for this year is lock down some more spots close here so that um, quality can still be good. But quality time at home can still be good. Being able to, you know, when I can do that, when I'm home and still hunting, it's 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 you know much less of a burden on on yeah. my family. So yeah, that's one of my that, things. Yeah, that's difficult, man. I I I I did the same thing this summer. Knocked on a couple extra doors. You know, got no's all the way around, and um, I don't know. It's just at the same time, I'm not 100 percent worried about it right now because I do have plenty of options. And I know that I have to put in my brownie points, especially if I want to do additional, you know, if I want to take an additional trip to Nebraska next, this next year, this next season, there's a good chance I'm not even going to try to hunt October uh, for whitetails. You know what I mean? So it's just making sure that like the scale gets tipped and it's going to get tipped, but never to the point where the load falls off. Yeah. So what are you envisioning then for these trips? You're envisioning a, a September elk hunt. You're yep. envisioning a, a, when are you going to do this Nebraska hunt? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to be like the last week of September or the first week of October. Um, that'll be a shorter trip, maybe like a, I don't know, a, a four day trip, you know, a day to travel for three or four days to hunt, uh, and then a day to travel back. So it's like an eight hour trip from where I live to out there. Uh, and I don't know, just, uh, try to, and it's going to be play it by ear. Right. I mean, if I, the good thing about Nebraska and some of these other States like Colorado, it's an over the counter tag. So if I, you know, like I have a lot of preference points for Wyoming, I'm going to turn those in someday. And when I turn those in, they take years to calculate, you know, to, to build up. And when that hunt comes and I g draw a good unit, I'm going and I'm going to spend a good amount of time there, right? Because I've invested heavily in, in this hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. Um, interesting. So that elk hunt, mm -hmm. is that early September? Yeah. That's the first week of September. So you're kind of doing like what I was talking about a little bit in that you've got early September, early October, then I'm sure you're going to take a week for early November or whatever, however much time you can. Right. So yep. at least kind of spreading them out to give the family time in between that. That's sounds like that works for you too, huh? Yeah. 
Yep. I'm good. That's the goal anyway. I mean, it would be awesome if I could take a week long trip every month, right? Maybe even late August, take a antelope hunt, September, take a elk mule deer hunt, uh, October, take a different hunt, uh, November, take a different hunt. And that way I can come back, hyper-focus family, get everybody in good graces again, and then burn all the bridges <laughs> on another Western hunt and then come back and start the healing process all over again. And... Sounds like a stressful way to live. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the ATA show is coming up next week. And uh, I got, well, shit, I'll be traveling one day. And I got meetings when I get in, I got three days of meetings and then I got another day to travel back. So again, I can already feel the stress in the family knowing that she's going to be solo for that many days. And I don't know, it's not only is it like, not only is it stress that she has to deal with, but it's stress that I have to deal with too. You know what I mean? Like that stress carries. And so I have to find ways to make that stress either go away or find ways to reduce the stress. And, you know, I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, this is a big theme of our whole episode. It sounds mm-hmm. like is, uh, yep. is family and balance. Um, yeah. anything else you do differently? I've got two more on my side. Let me see. I think from a, you know, from an actual, I don't know. I just, I feel like 2019 is going to almost be, yes, I'm going to take these trips and I'm going to still deer hunt, but it's going to be a secondary focus for me. Hunting is, I'm going to do it. It's my passion, but I'm not going to be concerned with the outcomes as I am as in the investment of the sportsman's nation, you know what I mean? So like it's going to be very work oriented 2019 is. So basically you're telling me that our podcasts are going to be really boring next year. Cause every update is going to be, well, I spent seven hours on my computer <laughs> <laughs> more like 14, but who's counting. Uh-huh. All right. Well, all right. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to make up the difference. <laughs> I'll try to I stay mean, up. There. I'm going to, I'm still going to hunt. Right. But it's going to be like, I don't know, you know, like if the weather conditions aren't good to hunt, I'm not going to force it anymore. You know what I mean? Just save it, save it for the right, the right time, the right conditions. And if it's not good, just don't go out. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hey, I understand that for sure. I've been in the same, same shoes and that's, that's typically how I operate too. Um, interestingly though, one of the things I want to do differently, and this is something that I talked about doing last year, didn't do a good enough job because I kind of thought this other property was going to solve this problem, but it didn't. So I, I talked about the fact one of my big goals this year is to get more local spots. Um, the second part of that change is that I want to take my scouting to the next level. Um, like really put in a whole bunch more time this year. Like I just talked to more and more of these, of these people that are super consistent, you know, like my yeah. buddy Andy. Just I yep. mean, he just is a scouting machine, and I think I need to – crank that up for myself a little bit more so just just doing a better job like every year i go into each season like saying i want to do this and do that and and every year i do a little bit better but never hit quite the goal i set for myself well this year i want to crank it up again as far as finding more properties fixing more of these off-season tweaks just getting more and more detail oriented i'm definitely fine-tuning things I've, I've i've definitely reached like a level of comfort with a lot of my setups with a lot of the places i do know that i hunt i've got a much better idea of how I like to approach new properties. I'm definitely getting better at 
picking out spots in a new area. Like I've, I've pretty much demonstrated to myself now that I can come into a new spot and, and have a decent chance of figuring it out and feeling, feeling comfortable with that. But I just want to keep tweaking it, minimizing the mistakes, getting better at scouting in the off season, and then also really getting comfortable with like in season scouting. So for example, I want to start paying attention to tracks more. I haven't done right. a good enough job of that, but that's something I think I can focus in on. I can key in on that a little bit better. Um, and then the the big thing, well, I don't know if it's the big thing, but another big thing is going back to archery and um, taking what I tried to do this past year, which was try to start um, developing a, a back tension style shot sequence. But I tried to do that with a finger, an index finger release. And <clears throat> that I thought was working better, but I got into the season and I found myself still making a couple of mistakes with it. So this year I'm breaking down everything and started from the ground up again. So I bought an actual tension style release. So there's no trigger to punch. There's no thumb button to push. There's oh no way. There's no way to release my bow except to pull through. And um, so that's what I, I've got the release now. I'm going to start working with it. And that will hopefully make a big difference for me this year, and I'm sure I'll I'll share everything that, that happens with that. But uh, but really, just want to keep on trying to find ways to minimize any chances of error when it comes to my bow hunts, and, and just constantly trying to get better. So that's yeah. that's gonna be a big way to do it. Hopefully, we need to pause again here one last time to thank our partners at Onyx, and Onyx is the producer of the Onyx Hunt app. That is the mobile application that I'm using to get my maps when I'm out there hunting, whether it be in public land or private land. It shows me the property borders. It shows me public land. It shows me, I don't know, I can measure distances and areas. I can mark waypoints. Um, I can share waypoints with friends. And, you know, one of the things I've been talking about here a lot recently is the fact that I want to get access to more properties this year. And I'm going to be using Onyx exclusively probably to do that because I need to figure out who owns certain properties, which properties are broken into which parcels, and then who owns those. So that then when I go to do my door knocking this spring, I'm going to know, okay, this property is owned by Mr. Johnson, and this property is owned by Mr. Smith, and this property is owned by Mr. Whatever. And I can put together this whole list of properties, go find their addresses, and lots of times you can get the address right there on Onyx when you click on the property owner information. I know exactly where to go, knock on their door, know their name, know their property borders. Everything I need is right there. So it's a tremendous tool if you are out there trying to get some new private land access. And of course, if you just want to hunt public, it's going to show you all that too. So check out Onyx if you're interested over at the mobile app store of your choice or at onyxmaps.com. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I need to do the same thing, man. Just, I mean, I love bow hunting. And I'm still not where I need to be as a archer. So, I mean, there's always room for improvement there. Do you, I know you tried it last year, right? Um, do well, you see this, your... two years ago, I tried it. Two years ago. Okay. This year I had no, like just no time. It was a miracle that I even got my bow sighted in before this, before I started hunting on that elk trip. So, so what do you anticipate for this year? I just, dude, we, time management is a huge thing and I like working every single day at my job and then working at home for multiple hours and then you know what when like right now it's too light it, I'm it's dark to shoot right I got like 10 minutes after I get out of here to, to maybe go shoot some arrows but I can't because I haven't been home all day and I have 
instantly come home. I come here and I spend an hour and a half, two hours in here. Then I get out and now my kids are like, daddy, what are you going to do? So I I have to play with them. Right. Uh, And then it's dark. So I don't know. Time management. Time Time management. I, I, I will say, and this is just as much me saying this to me as it is to you. Um, but just playing like devil's advocate as a friend, giving you a helpful nudge here. Just don't forget how shitty it was in November when you had that situation and you didn't yeah. think you were going to find that buck. Yeah. And, and remember that Yeah. because it might be worth trying to wake up 15 minutes early in the morning. And then again, I'm saying this, I'm preaching to myself too. I need, right. to, I need, right. to, I need to always remember that too and try to find that extra 10 minutes. And I don't always do a good enough job, but I'm, I'm trying to find some way to squeeze in that extra time because, because of all the things we do, if we can't, if we can't make that final moment as, as, as ethical and quick and clean and as, as removed from error as possibly we can, yep. what are we, what are we spending all this time doing anyways? Absolutely. Um, so that's something I need to keep reminding myself of and, and, uh, I'll be I'll be a friendly, annoying person who will budge you about that sometimes too. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. <laughs> um, so, with that said, I don't know, man. That is what I've got on the books for nineteen as far as changes. Is there anything, anything else in your mind? No, man. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but the uh, <laughs> the time limit for this podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I had to I had to shut the microphone off to yell at my kids to not stop pounding on the door. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wish you kept it on. Do you remember that one time that Ava tried to come in and you had to like walk her out of the room and give her a spiel? I, I mean, I yeah. kept it in the podcast. That was that was well, one of my favorites. Right. Or the time where the dog started barking and I had this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you threaten to kill it or something on the air? <laughs> Buried alive or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Those are always great moments. So, uh, yeah, let's wrap this one up so you can get out there and focus on what was both of our number one goals for 19, which is balancing family and jobs and hunting and all that stuff. So uh, I think uh, I think the only thing else worth saying is, man, I just want to – give you a big fist bump congrats on a great season same to you brother and uh here's 2019 and that's a wrap thank you guys for listening a couple little plugs i haven't mentioned this in a while but if you have not yet if you're a relatively new listener and you have not yet gone over to itunes and left a review of the wired hunt podcast man that is a huge huge help um we had i don't know what it is i haven't checked in a while but more than 2,000 reviews almost all of those are five stars it's it's such a it's such an honor that so many people are enjoying this. I appreciate that so much. But if you haven't shared your feedback yet, we would love to see it. Also, final plug, if you haven't checked out my video of uh, of that Frank Hunt that I was talking about, I definitely would recommend doing that. You can head over to the Wired Hunt YouTube channel to watch uh, what was, I think, a pretty darn cool story. I was really happy with it. Um, just, uh, just a special year, and I think that um, my buddy Wade did a really nice job of editing it together, and um, it, it tells a compelling story. So check it out. Check out the Wired Hunt YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Subscribe to this podcast, and I will stop asking you to do things now, and uh, I will simply focus on thanking you for spending this time with us today if you're still hunting keep at it i keep seeing people uh, laying down bucks on instagram and facebook there's still success to be had and for the rest of us 
it's scouting season. It's time to get excited for shed hunting and uh, all sorts of good stuff like that. So thank you again and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.